Well, this morning, imagine if you would a world in which there is no book of Acts in the Bible. Going from the last verse of the Gospels, the 12 disciples are told they would be empowered with signs and miracles and wonders to proclaim that Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. And there's the expectation as you, as you close out the, the Gospels that, that Jesus is coming again, coming back to earth to establish that kingdom on earth. And then if there's no book of Acts, you immediately go to the book of Romans. And the first words in the book of Romans are, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. You might have a few questions. Like, where did the apostle Paul come from? Who's this guy? We haven't heard anything about him in the gospel accounts. What happened to the, the 12 apostles? What happened to that promised messianic kingdom on earth? You might be wondering, what did we miss? We, it was something, we missed a lot of something somewhere. What else do we need to know? Well, today we want to look at understanding the book of Acts. And it's kind of part one, but kind of not. Okay, you understand that? Uh, no? Okay. Um, we're going to go through Acts chapter 15 today. And because once we get to Acts chapter 15, then we get into that time period in which the epistles were written. And next week we're going to talk about understanding the epistles. And no, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles just in case you didn't know that, okay? Well, pick up where we left off two weeks ago. The disciples are out, and they are now preaching. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. See what it is they're preaching. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, we read this. People of Israel. Okay, well, right away we get an idea what's going on. We're still talking to Israel. We're still talking to the Jews. We're still talking about, you know, God's promise of the kingdom to them. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Now, we looked at that two weeks ago, and we looked at the, at the gospel account that Jesus did all these miracles, which were fulfillment of the prophecy of, of the Messiah. Verse 23, but God knew what would happen. That's key, isn't it? God knew what would happen. Aren't you glad nothing takes God by surprise? You know, God knows the future. He's already been there. You know, he is the I am. God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Wow, think of that for a minute. The betrayal, the crucifixion of Jesus was part of God's prearranged plan. 
didn't take God by surprise. It's all part of the plan. Aren't you glad God uses evil for good? Still does, by the way. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you, talking to Israel, nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grips. And then Peter goes on in Acts chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 17. He's going to come to the, so what? Okay, now what? Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. What Peter is preaching here at Pentecost is that, yes, Israel, you, you killed the Messiah. It was part of God's plan. Now, if you repent of that, God will send Jesus back to earth and set up that kingdom that was been promised in the Old Testament uh, throughout the ages. So they're preaching the very same thing, basically, that Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, <coughs> excuse me. God is going to set up a messianic kingdom. Jesus will return to earth to do that. Not only did they preach to the Jews that Jesus was their Messiah, but they also had to do the same miracles that Jesus did as a sign of, of being fulfilled prophecy. So you have the apostles doing all sorts of miracles. Again, they're going to the Jews. The Jews uh, you know, have been promised those miracles, those signs, those wonders as proof of the Messiah. So they're carrying out the same ministry that Jesus had. They're just, you know, it's just kind of a, a seamless preaching of the, and teaching there. Jesus had actually promised the apostles that they would do greater miracles than he had done. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus says, yeah, you're going to be doing even greater things than I did because this is your credibility to the Jews that you are the Messiah, or that Jesus is the Messiah. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-two, we read, the Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Why do the Jews demand signs? God promised them signs. Okay, that is the fulfillment of prophecy concerning Israel's Messiah. But just like the Jewish leaders rejected the ministry of Jesus, 
we're going to see that the Jewish leaders also reject the ministry of the 12 apostles. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in, in verse 1, right after Peter preaches this message at Pentecost that, okay, Israel believe and Jesus will come back and set up that messianic kingdom, we read this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. I like that. They were, they were greatly disturbed. I'm, I'm thinking in more than one way they were greatly disturbed. Okay? Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. In Acts chapter 5, we're just going chapter by chapter through Acts here. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Then the high priest and his associates, who were a member of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. So now the same people who opposed Jesus, as Jesus was teaching that he was the Messiah, now they are opposing the apostles and putting them in jail. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we have <clears throat> the situation with Stephen. We, we have his arrest. And if you read that story, it's, it's a wonderful story there in those two chapters about how, how Stephen gets up and he very boldly proclaims that Jesus is, is the Messiah and, uh, and the people get really upst- upset with him and they take him out and they stone him to death. Okay, now the persecution of the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus has reached a new level. Now they're killing the followers of Jesus. And in that context, we have a new person arriving on the scene. We're going to see Saul of Tarsus. The Jewish leaders led a great persecution against the Christians in Acts chapter 8. Verses 1 through 3, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. The turmoil is building. The pot is boiling. Things are getting worse. Christians are fleeing the area. They're, they're the center of all the persecution is right there in Jerusalem. And by the way, at, at, at Pentecost, Jews had gathered from all over the world because that was one of the feast days the Jews were supposed to gather together in Jerusalem. And they, they take off, says just. The apostles were left. And Saul began to destroy the church. 
That was his goal. That was his purpose. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, put them in prison. Later on, Paul says he put those Christians to death. That is how much he persecuted them. Well, on the cross, Jesus asked the Father to forgive them for they did not know what they're doing. And I believe God did that. He forgave them. Now they're rejecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, that which would become known as blasphemy in the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. And Saul comes on the scene. And he's the one that they laid the the cloak of of Stephen at his feet. Uh, That that was a symbol of, of acknowledging his authority. He was the one responsible for Stephen's death. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul later to become the apostle, Paul enters the scene. It says, meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked them for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and by the way, the way there is what Christians were originally known as. They were followers of the way because Jesus said, I am the way. We weren't always known as Christians. That comes later. As a matter of fact, originally it was used as derogatory uh, because it means little Christs. Interesting. Anyhow, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You know, he's spreading out. He wants to go to Damascus now. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I like uh, reading fiction. I was once told by a super spiritual Christian that uh, real Christians don't read fiction. Okay, Um, but you know, Jesus loved fiction. He told stories all the time. He told a story about a Samaritan who was walking along. What was that? It's fiction. What are parables? They're fiction. Okay, Uh, I like fiction, but what a plot twist to this story because reality is better than fiction. The, The number one opponent of Christianity becomes the number one proponent of Christianity. And persecution stops. In Acts chapter chapter 9, verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So, Peace comes upon the church. The persecution stops. The number one enemy of the church has now become the number one proclaimer of the church's doctrine. 
So what happens when we don't have an enemy to fight? Well, we start fighting each other, don't we? Many times that's true. And guess what happens? The church starts some infighting. Conflict goes within the church. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, we don't have time to read it this morning, but uh, Peter has a dream. And he dreams he goes to a banquet. I have dreams like that. Those are enjoyable dreams, you know. Goes to a banquet. But here's a problem. At the banquet, there's pork. There's seafood like lobster and shrimp. Okay. What's wrong with that? Well, these are all foods that the Jews couldn't eat. Now, this was against uh, what they were told that they could eat. And, and in this dream, Peter says, no, 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 I can't eat that food. You know, that's unclean food. And, <clears throat> and then Jesus says, don't ever say what I have declared to be clean, to be unclean. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's a good dream. Well, that dream came with a purpose. Because right after that, Peter is asked to go to speak to a Gentile. Okay? A Gentile. And you have the story of his Cornelius, his Roman Gentile. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 27, Peter comes back after he goes and Cornelius is saved and, and all of that. And in verse 27 says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But raising any objection, may I ask you why you sent for me? So Peter comes back, and right away there's this large gathering of people wanting to know, Peter, what are you doing? Why did you go to a Gentile? Now again, <coughs> remember, the Gentiles were to be blessed in the Messianic kingdom when Israel, when, when, when God... Christ is sitting on the throne of Israel, then, then all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But Israel hasn't received their Messiah yet. And so, it, it, again, it's that cart before the horse. Peter, why are you going out to the Gentiles? Well, we gotta, we got to talk to the Jews. we got to talk to Israel. They have to believe first. Then we can go to the Gentiles. And Peter says, God told me to. Why would Peter need a special vision from God to go to the Gentiles? Because, again, the Gentiles were to be blessed through Israel. And that hadn't happened yet. It's breaking the order of how things are supposed to happen. And the Jewish Christians knew this wasn't the plan. And so they call Peter out on it. 
In Acts 11, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised men and ate with them? And starting at the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I believe this story of Cornelius is a turning point in the book of Acts. Because God is hinting to the fact a change is coming. Something new is coming. Something different is happening. And uh, something different where the, where the Gentiles didn't have to wait for Israel to receive their Messiah. Something different where God would break down the wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. Something different where God would remove all differences between Jews and Gentiles. And then we come to the unique ministry of the Apostle Paul. Everything about his ministry is unique. From the way he got saved, uh, to where he went, to, to what he did. We, we see in Acts chapter 13, Paul and others going on what we call the first missionary journey. This is where they, they leave their hometown, and they start traveling, this itinerant ministry, and going through what we would call Turkey today. And the first city they come to is Antioch. And the first place that Paul goes is to the Jewish synagogue. The first people to hear the gospel were Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, which is another, God-fearers was the name they gave to Gentile proselytes who had become Jews uh, through, uh, through conversion. And in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 45, it says, When the Jews saw the crowds, that's the crowd of people coming to hear what Paul had to say, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and, and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, talking to the Jews, since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that she may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and, and honored the word of the Lord. <coughs> the Jews, they don't like this. Because now we're bypassing them. Okay? But the Gentiles, great. We don't have to become as the Jews now. Okay? We can come to God apart from the nation Israel. So the next stop after Antioch. Iconium, in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brother. Okay, same song, second verse. Same thing happened, okay? They go to the town, they preach, some Jews believe, Gentiles believe, but 
there's a group of Jews who stir up all sorts of problems. Well, it's going to get worse. In Acts chapter 14, they go to Lystra and Derbe. That says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I could go on and on and on, but this is a pattern you see with the Apostle Paul's ministry. You see him going to the Jews first, the Jews rejecting him, Jews causing all sorts of problems, and he goes on to the Gentiles. The important thing to note here is the Jews are continuing to reject that Jesus was their Messiah. So much that it, again, it crept into the church. Acts chapter 15 is a debate. It's a debate concerning whether the Gentiles had to become like the Jews in order to be saved. In other words, were they, did they have to become part of the Jewish Messianic kingdom, or could they be saved apart from that? The, the real issue is, is deep. Can, can Gentiles come to God completely apart of coming through Israel? Can Gentiles come to, car, to God without being a, a, a mess? A mess with, I'll get it out here. Without there being a messianic kingdom. If so, then what became of the kingdom promised to Israel? Now, something interesting happens in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we have the last mention of Peter in the book of Acts. No more Peter. Now we're going to be following the, the life of Paul. Consistently, he's opposed by the Jews, and Paul says he's going to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 18, verse 6, it says, When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Acts 28, 28. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. So the focus turns from the Messianic kingdom promised to Israel in the Old Testament to the church where, where Jews and Gentiles come together as one. Next week, we're going to look at the understanding the epistles. And we're going to look at some, some changes that take place. And, and the church has a, has a different hope. We, we have a different destiny. We have a different relationship with God than, than what the Jews were looking forward to in that messianic kingdom. But I still have time left. So I want to give you a little taste of next week. Okay? Remember when we were going through the Gospels a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that Jesus healed everyone who came to him, right? Because he had to show that he was the, the Messiah and the Messiah could take care of any illness, any problem whatsoever. As we get later into the book of Acts, they're still healing, 
but it takes a little bit different form. Timothy is told to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and often infirmities. And he's not just healed. He's told to take medication, okay? No, I'm not going to go into wine and medication, but anyhow. <clears throat> Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a physical infirmity, and he prays to God three times for God to remove it. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. He doesn't heal the apostle Paul. He doesn't heal Timothy. Over in Philippians chapter 2, 25 through 27, we read, yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You have Epaphroditus, and he's sick. And instead of just going to apostle and getting healed immediately, he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker until he's, he's, he's almost dead, and, and then, then God heals him. You see the difference? There's just a little twist there in the situation. There's a little bit of a change coming on. Why is that? Well, I read to you a, a verse of scripture earlier. I'm going to close with this one. 1 Corinthians 1.22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. When God is dealing with the Jews, he has to give them those signs. He has to show them that Jesus is the Messiah, and he does that through signs and miracles and wonders. But now we're going to go to the Gentiles, and they don't have those promises. God never promised the Gentiles a Messiah. That was a Jewish promise. God never promised uh, the Gentiles that there'd be signs and miracles and, and wonders because they didn't know anything about a Messiah. Next week, we're going to look at understanding the epistles. And by the way, I'm going to begin with what happened to the kingdom. Okay? That earthly kingdom promised to Israel. We're going to start with that because that's really key I think, to understanding uh, the epistles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the breath that I breathe in order that I can share your word. Thank you for your word. And Father, as we've been spending several weeks just looking at different contexts within the Bible and, and understanding this messianic kingdom context. So important to understand um, the book of Acts, the church, uh, what it is you, you want from us, what, what promises you have for us. And so, Father, we thank you that we, we can come and, and, and just understand you uh, and to understand what, uh, what it is you require of us. Thank you for your word, I pray. Christ Jesus' name, amen.